This is Women in Leadership Podcast, featuring success insights from women around the globe. Now, over to your host, Anne-Marie Cross. And welcome to another episode of Women in Leadership Podcast, brought to you by the Influence Alliance. And yes, I'm your host, Anne-Marie Cross. We have a very special guest today with us, and she says, lead with trust and inspiration, not intimidation and fear. So joining me today on the show is Leah Zellums. Now, Leah, she is an executive coach, and she specializes in advancing women and career transition for STEM executives, emerging leaders, and female founders. She inspires and facilitates women to accelerate their career experience from lackluster, sometimes soul-destroying, to empowered, purpose-driven impact. Now, she is a former lab scientist with several decades in medical technology sales, and she's also a master's in coaching psychology, and she continues to pursue excellence in human performance, both in herself and her clients. Now, on today's show, Leah is going to share how to become 100% responsible for our state of mind, our well-being and ability to influence. Why persisting? through setbacks setbacks to make a difference that we want to make is vital right now, as well as doing it alone in the old way of leading while linking arms with trusted like-minded leaders. That is the way to win in 2021. Welcome to the show, Leah. Ah, welcome. Oh, thank you, Anne-Marie. Uh, what a, a treat to be here. Thank you so much for having me on your show and for that uh, look, very warm We've had welcome. a few conversations over the years, haven't we? And it's uh, wonderful now that we get to feature you. I know that you spend so much of your, your time and expertise really impacting an area that you're passionate about, STEM. And it's such an honour to have you here share that because this is a growing industry, which is really exciting. Lots of opportunity uh, for women to step forward, to step up. But firstly, before we dive into all of the good stuff that you want to share, give us a little bit of a background on what attracted you to uh, to that industry what, and what was your journey? That's a really good question, Anne-Marie. And uh, certainly my quest for, uh, I guess my quest to, to be to make a difference somewhere, somehow, has always been deep-rooted in my narrative. And uh, the kind of the, the, the big question of, well, you know, why, why are we here? What are we put on this planet to do? And uh, to be honest with you, I don't know that I have a complete answer to that yet, but I know my life has been a quest of looking for answers like that. And uh, so I was always highly curious as a child and uh, very, um, very much into sport and uh, competition and uh, challenging myself. You know, if I was to, to sort of look at what is one theme throughout my life that I have always uh, persisted or um, experienced, and that is always to be challenging myself. So that led me, the challenge and the curiosity for why things work, and that led me into science to begin with um, because I was determined to find a cure for heart attack because I lost my father to sudden death when I was 19 uh, from sudden heart attack. And I was determined to find a way to stop that, certainly for myself and for others. So that led me into biochemistry. I realised very uh, early uh, in my research career that test tubes and the loneliness of the laboratory and looking for answers at the molecular level was not my forte. My forte is people. My passion is how humans work. How can humans make a, 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 a bigger difference, a better difference in the world. And that took me into a sales and business development career in the medical technology space, um, promoting and and uh, working with leading edge technologies and teams uh, in uh, largely in healthcare and, and medical technology in preventative and diagnostic um, arenas. And, uh, and now over the last five years, I have um, re- uh, re-educated myself further in the coaching psychology domain because 
if we can facilitate our leaders to think better, they will do better. And doesn't the world need better leadership right now? My goodness me, let's not get started on our own politics right now. No, but it is, it that's is a whole that other show, question. isn't it? Sorry? That would be a whole other show. <laughs> oh, but very topical, very uh. topical. And so, and but what, what the, the key elements are uh, that we see is our narrative, our language is so important, isn't it? Because how we are received is the quality of our communication. Yes. So, and this is where leadership training, I believe, the heart of leadership training, one of the things that's attracted me to your podcast as I have been running the, the coastline of Sydney in my marathon preparations, I think I've binge listened on all of your Women in Leadership podcasts because you really have a skill, Anne-Marie, of facilitating uh, and co-creating conversations that go deep that go deep and and uh, with purpose and with tangible outcomes. And, and this is what we need more of. Enough theory, enough classroom, you know, chalk and talk. We need actionable um, methodologies, actionable strategies. And I think this is what um, podcasts like this are all about and, and what, um, what our work together, what I hope today will bring. Yes, well, I'm looking forward to going deeper into the conversation with you today. It's interesting as you share your story, and thank you for doing that, because, you know, so often we can have this um, drive, if you will, and sometimes it's difficult to actually define exactly what that is, but you know that there is something that is driving you forward. You hear someone share their story and you think, goodness, that really stirs my, you know, my spirit. There's something within that. And and so often when we are in situations, because there is so much work and transformation in an industry or in in humanity, if you will, in and of itself, it can feel really difficult. Like, who am I to even have an, an impact? But I love what you've said around, you know, conversations that we have with ourselves. What are we speaking over ourselves? What are we sharing with others? Can have such a, di you know, dynamic impact for good and sadly, in a lot of instances, not good. So share with me, I mean, you obviously transitioned from the, the scientific field, you redid your studies, and now you're really coaching a lot of, of women and, and aspiring leaders in the STEM industry. Were there areas that you recognised throughout your career, looking back here, hindsight is such a wonderful teacher, if only this, if I could have impacted that, and so now you want to be a change to try and inspire other women who are, who are there or thinking about that industry. Is that what happened for you? It is. Uh, in a way, that is how it's happened for me. Uh, the way I have landed on STEM as my uh, industry where I want to help others is I see the same gaps are still there, Anne-Marie, today as they were 30 years ago. I see articles, studies on why are one in five women, mid-career scientists, leaving the industry? They're not getting recognised for their work. They don't see career, the career progression path. They're, they're, they're working hard, but they are feeling invisible and the inflexibility of work because this is a very male-dominated industry. You think engineering, think mm -hmm. academia, think, um, you know, research. Medical research does have uh, quite a good mix of men and women, but when you look at the top echelons of leadership, who are in those rooms? We have not shifted that dial in a hundred years terribly much. Yes. And the pay gap still sits 17% across the board. But the numbers, the disparity of numbers, how few women are in those leadership roles, in professorship roles, in academia, you know, and this and the STEM industry is the heart of our um, of innovation. It's it's where the future solutions to today's problems are emanating from. And if we don't get that represent representation right and enough of the 
uh, women who want to be in those leadership rooms to, to coach them and to help them see themselves be in those rooms because they're not given that kind of education at school or at university. There isn't any personal branding or leadership development of the individual identity in your education as a, uh, a STEM uh, a graduate or, in, or, or as a PhD. This is all professional development outside. This is the work that, that we do as professionals. And it often comes way too late. It's often once people are at, at that C-suite level that they're getting the exposure to professional leadership development. They're getting the deep um, coaching and mentoring uh, to, to really dig into the hows and, and why that of their communication style. We've yes. got to start that so much earlier. And I know there are superstar programs, there are talent programs for your top, you know, one to two percent. It's not enough. We've no. got to get to that mid-level woman who who does not see herself as that superstar because nobody's ever seen her in that light. It right? can make such a often, difference, can't it, when someone it says little. Do you realise that A, B and C and then all of a sudden actually no? So let's dive in. I mean, from what I'm hearing, there's obviously systemic issues from a systemic foundation level. That needs to change. However, let's have a look, and I love that you want to talk about how to become 100% responsible for my state of mind, so our own state of mind, well-being and ability to influence. Because let's have a look at what are some of the things that we can change because as individuals, the more of us that do change in this industry, STEM, but we're talking, this can be applied across all industries, we start to see a shift. And where it starts is inside of us, isn't it? So what are some things we need to be aware of in this area? That's, and that's a really good place to start because there is a lot of focus on changing the system and anger, anger about the system and anger about the people at the top. Anger's a great catalyst for change, isn't it? So we've got to bottle that. And where do we take that? And this is where, where we take it, we've got to start with ourselves. And this is where one of the, um, there's so many different psychology frameworks you can use, but one of the, uh, the most heavily researched and uh, published uh, works in psychology frameworks is the mental toughness model. Mm -hmm. And that encompasses the four C's which are, uh, which have been shown to be the highest determinant attributes in what creates successful leadership, successful communication, success in high-performing athletes, successful education. And those four elements, psychology uh, constructs, are commitment, mm -hmm. challenge, confidence, and control. And this was a model that was developed some 30 decades, um, uh, 30, year, 30 decades, 30 years ago by Professor Peter Clough and Doug Strakarczyk in Manchester. And it has grown out of the research and study around grit uh, and resilience. And what are those elements that separate the, you know, you don't, we separate the people who succeed? I'm not going to default to that old that old saying, right? <laughs> because our language again, it's like, um, you know, what are, what is it, what traits do these uh, folk have who are succeeding in spite of the barriers, the biases, all the systemic issues that are wrong? There are people that are still, still succeeding. You know, think, um, you know, Marie Curie. You know, now she is the epitome of the STEM role model at a time when uh, women were definitely supposed to be in the kitchen and at home with the children. And yet she defied so many norms. And, yes. and you know, and, and this is where understanding how she thinks is that window into what it takes as an individual to become wholly responsible for our choices and to be able to persist even when the going gets tough. Mm. And th this is also what um, 
drove me to do uh, my research last year with 24 leading women in STEM to look specifically what are these traits. They were various ages, various backgrounds, various roles in science, technology, um, academia, uh, in pharmacy, in entrepreneurship. And what do you think the two standout traits were that I observed in all of these 24 women, Amory? Oh, my goodness. So is it out of one of these four or something that came out of? What, what, yeah, it, 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 what would you, you know, think from your experience? You no, it's, 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 it's almost like no matter what's going on, there is just this determination. They just keep getting up persistence and being very mindful of what they listen to because often we can get discouraged, we can feel isolated and not supported. But in that, is that correct? Let me. What was the feedback that you got? Yeah, persistence, absolutely, and conscientiousness. So that commitment to the task, the yes. commitment to their vision. Now, this was the interesting um, point that I think is one really significant um, benefit of why you would want more women with STEM backgrounds in your boardroom, in your leadership team, regardless of industry, not just in the technology industries, but it's their belief that what they do in their work is going to make a difference to that thing, to that project. So it's not necessarily belief in, I know I can do this, right? Typically, that's how we sort of define self-belief. I didn't hear that. I didn't hear any sense of that level of self. I heard so much about their vision for what they wanted to produce. It's all, it's and legacy. that is key. It's legacy, yes. isn't it? Yeah. Yes, but and but and and in the sense of like what I know that the work I'm going to be doing here can make a difference. To can make this particle better. So not only does it not does it does it deflect water, but it actually kills the bugs. Right? It's like they had this specific vision, and and they themselves were were front and central to making that happen. So they were very much the doer, the leader in action, if you like, and they were very fixed on their determination to see that through no matter what. And and who did they listen to? Yes, this was very much looking that a lot of them did have specific mentors who had been their guiding light, who had helped them with introductions and helped them with understanding the culture of, as a PhD student, for instance, you need to be asking the speaker your question. You must, you must go, go and ask your question. It's not that you're, you're considered below that person and should only, you know, be listening. No, you're expected to ask your question. So it's it's that kind of guidance, of cultural guidance as well, that, that many of them did have, but not all of them. And a lot of them that had pursued the entrepreneurship path is because there was no seat at the table in that corporate role. It didn't matter how many degrees they had. It didn't matter how excellent their work was. They never got that seat at the leadership table. So they're carving their own way to create their own table and choose who they want at their table. I like that. I like yeah. that. You learn what you can and then create your own table and be the champion uh, that brings others around the table. And you know what? I, I love what you've said about that. There's a story that I heard once about a, a gentleman who was asked, why do you love your job so much? Because he, this gentleman was working in the, the, the pit, if you will, of this massive big sky rise and in NASA. And when he was asked, you know, what do you love about your job? Because he was the plumber. He said, because we keep the pipes working so that we can send that the environment, the organisation can send uh, astronauts to the moon. And it's a real why, isn't it? They, it's deeper than them and it's that they can contribute to that greater path, that greater vision and mission of that company. Yes, and they see how important their role is, how it connects to that greater vision. Yes. And uh, and that's a similar story to the painters in the Sistine Chapel, mm -hmm. you know, the, the uh, janitors, 
in the, the Sistine Chapel and their connection to why their role was so important. And isn't that something we teach in uh, leadership development, working with executive teams, is how do you provide an opportunity for each and every one of your employees, your, your staff, to know the direct impact of what they do at their desk, what they do, how that fits into the bigger picture, because the sense of belonging and connection to the team is one of our core psychology uh, requirements for psychological well-being. Mm. Something else that you were mentioning before, and I wanted to go back to that because I think it's so important. You know, so often we get really, and, 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 and there's a reason why, we get to the point where we're so frustrated we have to voice uh, what it is that, that we need to, and, and that is happening around around the place. But it's like when you're in an, in an environment and, and even as a leader in, in, in a business, if someone comes up to you and just with complaints, it only goes so far what are the solutions? Be the solutions. Be so good that people cannot ignore you. Leave the table, create your own and be so good that they're, they're coming to you. To, what are you doing really differently? It can become difficult if you're constantly um, stuck in that blame and that shame, you know, and all of those things. So let's talk a little bit. How do we shift through that and step into what you so brilliantly have shared that these women that you interviewed, there was this consistency, there was this conscientiousness that drove them forward. They were not distracted by discouragement, by derailment, all of those things. They just ploughed forward. How do we shift to get into that, that ability that we can do that? The good thing is that there are people who are doing that. So we see role models. And we know that one of the fastest routes to behavioural change, right, to get out of stuckness is through um, observing and modelling on those role models. And the great thing about all of the traits and the skills that the people who are pushing through and succeeding have, these are all learnable skills by every single human being. They are not just like um, for the super bright people or for people with high IQs. And again, this is what I love about working with a psychology framework like the mental toughness model that gives us an, a way of measuring progress because progress is actually the key to self-confidence and to, um, to that self-regulation when we can we can be in the worst possible place you know from a uh, mental um, health point of view and be really really down and out and in that blaming and shaming or maybe we are being blamed and shamed there is a way out and the best way is to be helped by professionals to help us move out. But that's why using tools like the uh, mental toughness assessment, which gives us an assessment of where are we in those levels of commitment, control, challenge, and confidence, if they are the four main indicators of what it takes to be successful, where are we now in our uh, thinking frame? And there are strategies and tools that we can apply to help ourselves start to move forward. And this is what then generates change in ourselves. When we start to see that change in ourselves, our mood can shift very quickly. And yeah. this is one thing that, again, energetically, where are we? Where are our beliefs? If I were to sum up where I work specifically with people, and I keep coming back to belief, Sam Ray, because if we believe that we can make a difference, we're going to be operating very differently than if we think that we are a complete schmuck and have no hope at all. Yeah, and really. that's what, you know, and this is why 
coaching, mentoring, professional development, investing in our own development to give ourselves that help. This is my message is that we are all responsible for that. We cannot wait for the boss to do it. Bosses are not doing this for the majority of their staff. It's still, you know, the again, budget constraints, all sorts of constraints and, and um, you know, this is still really in the realm of the C-suite, this kind of investment in professional development and, and helping leaders think better. But when we as an individual can learn to think better and know ourselves deeply, it's from that awareness that we can start to make step-by-step -step change. Yeah. And this is when we can measure it like we can with um, the mental toughness framework because it's a scale that is on a zero from one to ten that on the zero one two three side we we are uh, looking at where uh, this is the mentally sensitive end and the eight nine ten end is the mentally tough end now mm. clearly the people who are you know uh, gunning it and really make, making strides in spite of environmental influences and the shaming and blaming and and uh, what are other people thinking and what am I even thinking about myself those people still have those thoughts, Anne-Marie. We all have the inner critic. Just because you might have a high mental toughness score doesn't mean you don't have that narrative running. It's just those people don't listen to that. They That's actually right. put it's the fleeting thought that I recognise you. Yes. Um, and of course, we're speaking with uh, Leah Zalems, and she is a former lab scientist. She now specialises in coaching and advancing women and career transition for STEM executives, emerging leaders, and female founders. And you you mentioned uh, Leah the, the those four aspects. Of course, we're talking. You talked about the commitment challenges. Uh, confidence and uh, control. Let's talk about persisting through setbacks because you say that to make a difference we want to make, um, it's vital that we do persist now. And sometimes what can happen is uh, we see things working very, very slowly and that can be discouraging. But as you say, it's so important to persist. What are some insights you can share here? Persistence falls into that it straddles commitment and challenge because when we understand what our thinking frames are around how we see setbacks, because setbacks are challenges, when we don't get the results we want, it creates, it often creates upset and it triggers at, at lots of different types of thoughts. But again, are we seeing that setback as we are a failure? I am a failure, or are we seeing it as, oh, this is an opportunity to learn. It's an opportunity to create a different solution. It's an opportunity to solve yet another problem. And this is one, um, I guess, very uh, uh, key mindset that I saw in the uh, women in, in uh, STEM leadership I interviewed was they had an incredible sense of curiosity and capacity for problem solving. And they took that attitude, they embodied that attitude of seeing challenges as opportunities to learn and opportunities to problem solve, opportunities to create new solutions. Now, again, that might be for some people a natural way of thinking. For most of us, it probably isn't, but it can be a learned skill because this is the law of nature. Whenever we want to change something, we're disrupting something. We're going to have setbacks. We're going to have challenges, unforeseen challenges. It doesn't matter how well we, we pre-plan and do our what-if analysis. There's always going to be surprises. And so this is where... Again, how we're how we're we're perceiving what happens to us, the meaning we give it, give it, has so much to do with what choice we make. Yes, yeah, next, and this is where the it's so important to separate also task and outcomes of the task or the project versus your personal worth, your personal um, uh, connection or role in that task. And this is the other piece of work, again, that is 
very important is to separate your sense of self-worth with those outcomes and with those um, results. And particularly when they're taking longer than you'd like them to, particularly when it feels like it's not working, uh, that your choices are perhaps not taking you to that end result as quickly as you would like. And again, this is where the importance of collaboration and who you are asking for help from. And again, this is where in the STEM industry, particularly being very much um, a uh, education and tertiary education um, requirements there, this is where mentoring and working with supervisors and asking for help is part of their culture. You're not expected to work it out on your own. And yeah. this is where we need to keep that attitude going throughout life. There is no such thing as a stupid question. Yes, and, I love that. Mm. So, Leah, uh, we've got subject there. He said, great comments and another comment. How do, um, how do we frame, interpret setbacks is key? Then he's got a question here. Is it because experimentation is the name of the game in science? Does that boil down into actions? Oh, great, great um, uh, idea there and exactly right. And this is where uh, one of the very successful professors, I interviewed Professor Chinwa Wu from, from Monash, she said, look, if we were always going to get the results that we expect, this would not be research. This would not be science. Science doesn't work that way. And it's this kind of posture. This is the reason, one of the reasons she is so successful. She pursues excellence. She expects excellence. She values the team. It's all about the team performance. And there's the realities of the, particularly because they work hand in hand with industry. Industry is all about faster results at a cheaper price, right? It's not always going to be on time, on budget. Projects, yeah. science doesn't work. It would not be research if it, if you know, if it were, if it worked that way. And that's the kind of reality and communicating the truth, communicating the reality, and in a tone that is quite neutral, Anne Marie. It's not reactive. It's not defensive. It's not um, trying to kind of, you know, like uh, patch things up around the edges to make sure no one's offended. It's like it's very diplomatic but very neutral in the tone of delivery as well. That this so, is how science is. Yeah, and this so is the evidence-based approach to decision-making, the data-driven, process-driven approach to decision-making. And this is also why we need so many more women. We stem with, with science, deep, deep science backgrounds, with those PhDs, with the, that deep vertical knowledge in those parliaments, in those politics, in all leadership tables. Again, yeah. beyond the technical companies, we need them in the banks. We need them in all industries because this is the skill set they bring that is so stooped in their own professional um, skill and, and, and development and expertise. Mm. Uh, Subject said uh, women in STEM research are true warriors and you know I, I echo what what you've just said and it's because as you've just explained they bring a wealth and depth of richness that adds value to the conversation this is not about one being better than the other but together we are better and you know when we get ego out of the way when we get the politics out of the way we're aligned with that vision and we invite all people from all backgrounds, no matter what genders, to and invite them to participate in the conversation, to brainstorm, to ask questions with no judgment. Can you imagine what would be possible if there were no restrictions around that? And, and as you so beautifully said, and of course, just reminding everyone, if you're just joining us here, we're talking to Leah Zellens. She is a former lab scientist, but now uh, she has a passion to work with other emerging and even people who are working in STEM, women, emerging leaders, female founders uh, for the, those STEM executives. 
rich conversation. If you've only just joined us, please go back and watch the live stream. And of course, this will be an audio version down the track too. One of the things, Leah, you also want to speak into, and this is so important, it has come through already in the message that you're sharing, is that doing it alone is the old way of leading. Linking arms with trusted, like-minded leaders is the way to win in 2021. Share a little bit more here. Well, uh, one of the challenges that um, that we do see that exists is that women are very good at collaborating. They're very inclusive. They're very good at herding the cats. And uh, particularly, uh, this came through very strongly with the uh, digital transformation uh, program leaders I interviewed who were very, very, um, you know, very good and, and thorough in getting all the stakeholders to the table to make sure everybody has their voice heard and contributes. Now, this is important, it's vital, but what we do see as the, 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 mindset of abundance versus scarcity. Uh, How well are we as women truly supporting each other in those higher levels and and helping other people, other women get those seats at the table? So one thing that is an area of improvement is to be moving from that scarcity mindset, from that fear-driven mindset of there's not that many seats, so I better do what I can to protect my own back. We've got to get more inclusive and abundant in our thinking to bring more women with us and link arms with men and women and trust that there's enough seats for everybody. Because, and there's going to be you know, times when we don't agree. There's going to be heated conversations. There's going to be conflict. And this is where the skill development of being able to stay in the conversation as we move toward the tension and converse in that tension and not back down and not shut down and not lose our voice in those moments of intensity. This is the work that remains to be done, Anne-Marie, to get better at that rather than excluding those people who we might feel are maybe stronger than us, better than us, bigger than us. There's all of that comparison, you know, what is it? Comparison is the thief of joy or, you know, there's the sayings around that and the competitiveness. And this is where we've got to get better at co-opetition, at linking arms with with people and organisations that may, you know, that may be operating in exactly the same field as us instead of seeing there's a, at them as co- as competitors. They are competitors and that's what's going to drive excellence. Let's link arms and see how we can co-opt together. Where can we find that piece of work where we both bring something unique and important to the table? Or maybe we're both bringing the same thing to the table and let's make it bigger and better because we do, because we get it, because that's our area of expertise. Yes. You know, it's like these networking organisations that just have one type of one industry. Oh, please, that's so yesterday. That is so and yesterday. It's so boring. I never, I never, for the events and conferences that I attend, never attended the conferences that was in my industry because I kind of already knew I want to know what's going on in other people's industries because it could spark an idea. Oh, how can we implement that um, within what we're doing? And I love subjects. Thank you so much. You always um, add so much value with the comments that you share. Uh, ideas above regions and genders and borders and people before economics, the mantra I like. Absolutely. If the event that has happened that we've all experienced globally um, has not taught us a lesson and now is the best time to change, what happens in one part of the world can impact the entire globe. Can we please move forward with a global mindset that what we're doing, the decisions that we make, the innovations, don't keep it to ourselves. Let's share it and make this world a better place for everyone. I mean, please. Something else then, I'd love you to speak into this, uh, Leah, you mentioned around the scarcity mindset. 
it can be difficult, can't it? Particularly when there are not that very many opportunities. But surely the things that you have mentioned, uh, all of the, the things that we should be doing, focusing on the co-opetition, all of that, when we start to shift, and not just one of us, but two of us, four of us, six of us, and so on, across the board, men and women, that surely we would see an evolution of more ideas or more opportunities come to the table if we go forward with that mindset and the things that you mentioned? Yes, and I think we do see this in our younger generation, you know, our, uh, our the uh, people in their 20s, they do have a very different mindset to where we were at uh, back then. So you see this in generational change, but it is also um, mindset is a decision, Amory. You know, once you've got, you know, some basic kind of, you know, professional development, leadership development. I, if when you've got your identity sorted, when you've got your your mission, your vision, your um, your message, which is always evolving, but you've got to have that basic framework of what you stand for. Yes. Only then can you back yourself. And we must decide to back ourselves today. You know, there's a wonderful article that was uh, produced uh, in the conversation this week that is talking about the women and girls in STEM and a big research study they've, they've done. They've seen that women in STEM students in studying STEM have actually got higher levels of confidence than a lot of women in other industries. But this confidence they're having in their uh, undergraduate years is not following through to help them in progress in their careers. So that's the gap. What is happening there? Why are they able to back themselves in their university time? And then what happens? Why are they not doing that as they come through into their careers? And again, a lot of that we can point fingers at um, at environment and and, uh, and and old ways of doing things and not being you know given the opportunities because of the biases and all of that. But this is why taking responsibility for our own professional development so that we can continue to back ourselves even when our confidence starts slipping, even when it looks like it's not working, even when it feels like nothing we're doing is working, which is part of and parcel of the course, whether you're an entrepreneur or a scientist. I actually see so many parallels between that yeah. route as a scientist and that route as, a, as an entrepreneur. And I don't know that, in fact, that's that's a fresh idea that I hadn't made that connection until just now, Anne-Marie, but that's worth exploring further because how do we really show the world what a what a the, the, the value and the gifts a scientist brings to that leadership table because typically the image of the scientist is the white coat in the lab the 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 introverted nerd looking down test tubes and things you know and and yes that's such that 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 a lot of people you know do prefer to to work like that and be like that but there's a whole world of um, of expertise and and experience, particularly in how they problem solve, how they visualise the end result, how they stay committed, how they stay in control when everything is out of control, how they see setbacks as challenges and opportunities to learn, and how they they back themselves in their work. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's not they're, they're not perfecting their voice or their, their speaker kit or, you know, like a lot of entrepreneurs and, you know, the whole visibility piece. And that's something that I think is something that probably needs more attention so that we can, you know, to be visible. How do people yeah. get visible if they don't speak and they don't get on stages, right? Yeah. One so, of the other things that you mentioned, and then there's a couple of comments that uh, Subjeet brought, and I want to bring that that in because it's it's good food for thought. I know we're coming to the end of, of our conversation, but, I mean, we're just scratching the surface and really what we want to do today is hopefully plant some seeds, some questions. Yeah, why not? What can we do better? What can we learn? 
learn from all of the, the, the conversations that have gone on years but really affect change for, for the better. And that is, uh, and this is something that you said earlier and I really want to draw people's attention to it because I think people can get stuck. If your self-worth is predicated on the successful pat on the backs, you did a really great job, how wonderful, amazing are you, your self-worth will deplete when you don't get that response, when something does not work. So be mindful about where you put your self-worth and where your identity is it becomes fulfilled because the moment you said this, the moment, and I totally agree, you separate yourself, your self-worth, your identity from all of those achievements means you can go far, far farther and bring a lot more people with you because you know, the different ideas that can actually spark an incredible new uh, pathway to further exploration that you may not have even considered. But if you're taking that personally as well, they don't think my idea is any good. Yeah, it is, but it's actually the beginning. You know, once we get past that, we're able to invite so many more people around the table. Would you agree? Uh, 100% Anne-Marie and this is comes full circle back to our um, original uh, focus on how we take 100% responsibility for our for ourselves for our state of mind and for our choices and when we base our identity on our internal beliefs and values and standards and expectations of things that are important to us as opposed to our list of achievements, our roles and responsibilities, which is the typical CV. I mean, how yesterday is that? Yeah. You know, because people buy from people, people employ people, and this is why we've got to be the master of our own identity to be able to speak with clarity and compelling confidence about who we are and the, the value we bring and the difference we can make to you and your organisation. So that's whether you're going for a job interview or uh, whether you are um, you know, starting your own business or looking for that next client, we all need to be clear on that unique value proposition for ourselves because that's how we back ourselves. That's how we take ourselves forward and let's start to let go a little bit of I am my job or I am the outcomes I produce. Perfect. Just a couple of comments here. Food for thought. Maybe you'd like to share some ideas too. But I, I, I love where Subjit is talking uh, or, or speaking here too. He says, "Strongly believe that women have helped men in raising their bar for far too long." And he, this is interesting. Why don't they include men in their growth? He, he asks that. Um, a father, a brother, a husband can play a huge role. Add mentors and sponsors at work. Absolutely. I, I can share from my own experience. I've learned so much from from. Men men and women, but I love from men too because they, they just add value to thinking that I would not necessarily think of because I'm a woman and I use that as, isn't that interesting? Not from a point of view, well, I'm looked down on, I, I just, just, that just does not enter. My, but how can it add value? How can it shape my thinking? But love your thoughts on, on what Subjit has uh, commented. Yes, and I, I fully concur with that as well. And then if we go back to what the research shows us about um, the about our development through childhood, and this is where often what we do need to have, or girls who in all-girl environments need that space to develop that identity so they can sit in the room with men and boys who may be more dominant, louder, more confident and all of that. So whether that's happening in classrooms or in workspaces, if we haven't learned it in the classroom, we're not going to learn it in the, in the workspace either. And this is why women's leadership development programs and women's programs are important. For It's like we've got to grow our wings and grow those mm -hmm. capabilities so that we can sit and, and handle whatever comes at us. When, because I am sure a lot of the intent of the way men speak to women, it's not consciously wrong. Like it's they don't mean to be bad. They, they, they're well-meaning, you know, but it's not received. You know, I know. Like, you know my husband. So many and unconscious, I but yeah. 
my husband and I have a joke and and whenever one of us says something we go that's going in the memory cells and sometimes he'll say something to me in the direct and that's definitely going to the memory cells so that I will pick the moment and I'll respond the way he did and he goes like then I go oh that's what you were doing the other day. You know, so sometimes we the way that we shift environments like that is bring a little bit of humour. Don't let it upset you, but rather let it fly off the back. And Because I think when we have an appreciation of other people and how they communicate, it can give us such ability or uh, yeah ability to be able to adapt and change not take things personally but realize look that's the way that they communicate may not be the way that I do but this is the way and and I think appreciation of learning communication skills and so forth of others is is incredibly um valuable and it's lifelong like you know we can learn at once and it's out the window the next minute. You know, it's like we've got to be constantly drinking from that cup. That's yeah. the other message too, that we don't, this isn't just like a, you know, three-month course and you're going to be able to hold your ground anywhere, right? I mean, I do have a three-month course that, you know, where I teach this stuff. But again, we've got to keep drinking from that cup. Um, and also studies show that uh, there was one that KPMG uh, published a few months back that they surveyed their mid-career women one or two levels below sea level and 75% of them are still suffering imposter syndrome. Wow. And Marie, and they think that the bloke sitting next to them doesn't and have does it. it. We all do, and no matter how what. how can that be? We have been helping women with imposter syndrome for tens, like scores of years now. Yeah. How can that still be a thing? When I was in the career industry, I would often do interview coaching and, um, you know, and, and I've coached men and women, but men particularly who were responsible for health departments, institutions globally. So I'm talking billion dollar budgets and things like that. They would often disclose to me, you know, I have no idea why I'm why I've been approached for this role, so I need some support. Yet when you have a look at their CV with all of the successes, and I think that's the, the attitude that you've just described, and we see that in, in men as well as women, is that their, their mission, their drive to do better, to contribute, is what drives them forward, and that's an attitude. Yes, you've got skills and things that you develop, but it starts with an attitude, your attitude and your approach. And that is often what is uh, seen. It stands out from everyone else whose attitude is quite different, um, which speaks to everything that you've been talking about mm -hmm. today. So just reminding, if you're just joining me, we are at the end of the conversation. We are talking with Leah Zellens. She is a former lab scientist, several decades in the medical technology and sales and so forth, but now she specialises in coaching um, and helping women advance and their career transition in STEM executives, emerging leaders and female founders. So it's been a wonderful conversation. Leah, if someone's listening or have been watching, what's the best way they can connect with you how do they do that? Definitely connect with me on LinkedIn uh, and send me a message. Let me know that we met on uh, Anne-Marie's podcast here. And uh, also check out my website, zaccess.com.au, where I do have lots of video resources, uh, particularly useful for really um, looking at honing your, your message at um, how we do build those self-regulation skills, how do we improve our mental toughness, our, our attitude towards setbacks and challenges, because when we can do that, we truly can conquer anything and move towards experiencing our full potential, because we don't want to, uh, you know, we don't want to leave the planet not having given this our best shot, wow, you know, and we, and we must start with ourselves. Yeah, love that. Loved our conversation. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you so much, Anne-Marie. This podcast is brought to you by TheInfluenceAlliance.com. Want to influence real change with your message by becoming known as a trusted authority in your industry while building a sustainable and scalable business you love? Find out how by accessing our free podcast series at www.TheInfluenceAlliance.com slash podcast series. That's the influencealliance.com slash podcast series.